should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting there. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever, Love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Miao Show. Your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now here's your host, Michelle Miao. Welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me here on this Tuesday, July 18th. I'm Michelle Miao, your host. The Michelle Miao Show is your A through Z, covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between. Since it's Tuesday, it's the happiest day of the week because John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us. The studio is just not so lonely after all. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, Michelle. Thanks so much for being here. Um, So it's Tuesday. We're, you know past the 100-day mark uh, as far as 100 days of President Trump and uh, his presidency. (laughs) There's always a lack of words to describe. That is what it's called. It's called the presidency. Um, And, uh, you know, I don't don't know. I think think back in January, mid-January, some of us had thought that by the middle of the year, I mean, I'm just bringing this up because it's July 18th, you know, we're a little over the halfway mark of the year. we were already hoping that he'd be out of office. Uh, how close are we with all the, the, the headlines that keep popping up over Russia, over private meetings and blah, blah, blah? We are seeing the process actually work the way it is is working and the way it probably should work, meaning you it, it isn't something that's immediate and over overnight. Um, in fact, recently um, on one of our week-to-week programs, uh, we had Randy Shandable, who is a, a liberal political sort of person here in San Francisco, and he was saying he, he hoped, actually, that uh, President Trump would not be impeached, not because he supports him, but because he thought that would leave, like, the, the hardcore, you know, populist right with this grievance that, you know, this was unfair and that that, that would itself metastasize into something worse. Um, and... I can kind of see his point, though my thinking had been, well, it's going to happen no matter what. But then I, the, I was talking about this exact thing with a colleague the, uh, like last week, and uh, I, w- I told him what Shandable had said, and I said, you know, what's happening now by the fact that it is slow, it is a drip, drip, drip of, of developments. In fact, just this morning, CNN's reporting, they've identified an eighth person who was at that meeting with Don Trump Jr., um, oh. who just happens to be another Russian Azerbaijani real estate business person, you know. Um, but the fact that that's happening slowly and that even that, even people who are living in a bubble of only getting right-wing populist news sources, in some way those sources still have to report on the stuff that's happening. And, you know, we, we like, the popularly people are like, oh, yes, but those people get no outside interaction. Well, that's actually not true, you know. Everyone just... Think of all the people you know who have, you know, who maybe come from right-wing Trump-like families, but they're not. Well, they certainly talk to their families. They argue with them, even if they're in different states. 
Um, and so this, by the fact that this is happening slowly, Robert Mueller is still in the background doing his stuff, and we know he's going to do things very, very um, carefully. Um, and as more and more news happens, and as even you start to see more and more folks on the right, you know, Shepard Smith and others, um, start to say, look, this, <laughs> there's something here. Rod, Charles Krauthammer, very, very conservative columnist for, the, I believe, the Washington Post, came out and said, yeah, th this is collusion. Um, so, but I think that all actually helps uh, counteract what might be uh, surprise and shock and, and a lasting grievance among his core because, you know, by the time Nixon got out, that core was really, really small. Mm -hmm. Even a lot of his people started peeling their bumper stickers off uh, their cars. <laughs> Can you these days? Um, well, you know, talking about just kind of how everything is evolving and more and more stuff's coming out. There are things that we can look um, as uh, and and say that not everything is incredibly bad. Last Thursday, there was a, a possible amendment or a measure that was um, re rejected narrowly mm -hmm. by a Republican-led House that would look to, I guess, take away uh, or. Uh, uh, basically take away the the opportunity for the Pentagon to pay for gender transition surgeries and hormone therapy for transgender military officials. And so let's talk about that. We've invited Brody Levesque back to the show. He is the chief political correspondent for the new civil rights movement. He began his career as a wire service reporter in 1980, working on politics, public policy, and international issues. So Brody, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Michelle. It's, uh, it's very nice to be back. And hello there, sir. Hello. Welcome back. All right. So let's Thank talk you. about this, the, the House rejecting an attempt to ban transgender surgery uh, for troops that, you know, this is, it, it's, it's great news, even even if it was narrowly rejected. Well, it, it's, it's significant from the standpoint that there was an array of folks behind the scenes that were working very, very hard to counter uh, what's known as the Harsler Amendment uh, to the National Defense uh, Reauthorization Act, the NDAA, on a markup. The amendment, had it in fact passed and gone through, may or may not have made it through the Senate and the Senate Conference uh, Committee, but had it and it had gone uh, to the White House for signature, we're fairly comfortable that the President um, would have, in fact, signed it. Um, I've, from the people that I've been speaking with uh, and, and talking to sources on Capitol Hill, um, Speaker Ryan and uh, the Committee of the House Armed Services uh, Committee, uh, Representative Max Thornbury of Texas, and both uh, actively encouraged uh, Republicans to vote for the amendment. But it, it really, it, it basically came down to uh, what's, fair and what's not fair. And the characterization of that amendment was it was a direct attack uh, on the trans community. Now, some that were actively working against uh, the amendment, uh, such as uh, the Palm Center, mischaracterized uh, the Pentagon's position on it. As a matter of fact, um, Aaron Belkin, who's the director of the Palm Center, uh, was completely off base because he kept trying to frame the context of the conversation as basically the Pentagon revisiting don't ask, don't tell. That's not true. That's not what was going on. This was actually a lot more aimed from a congressional point of view 
and it was directly being advocated for by the Heritage Foundation and by the Family Research Council, and in fact by the Vice President of the United States. There was heavy, serious push behind this amendment. The pushback was coming from the fact that you had a lot of Republicans, moderate Republicans, who just didn't clearly see this as fair. They saw this as an attack without merit, and they, they just weren't up for a bruising fight over, regardless of what Speaker Ryan and the chairman wanted. And even Kevin McCarthy, the House Majority Leader, had been pushing the caucus for it. Um, yeoman work was done by Outserv, uh and Matt Thorne and his people. They led the fight against uh, the amendment. Um, the Human Rights Campaign, the American Military Partners, uh, there was some serious, serious hard work that went into uh, defeating uh, this amendment. Uh, Matt Thorne, the executive director of Outthorn, pointed out that the most important thing here was that the Pentagon didn't want this thing. Secretary Mattis absolutely did not want to clutter things up on that particular reauthorization amendment with what he considers a social construct of an argument that he doesn't want to even go to. The Secretary's view was this is not the type of thing that affects morale, readiness, or lethality of the Pentagon, and there are far more important things that need to be addressed. In fact, the two amendments on that House bill that the Secretary was completely resistant to was the Harsler Amendment on the transgender issue and then the amendment on climate. So both of these really invoke the ire of the Defense Secretary. Our sources told us that the Defense Secretary personally called Representative Harsler during the course of the vote to talk her you know, down and to get her just to pull the amendment back, even after it went past the Rules Committee and to the floor of the House for the vote. So you have the Secretary of Defense actively advocating. Now, this was a fact that was known to a few of us in the press. It was known to, obviously, the people working on trying to stop the amendment. And that really, I think, is what tipped the scales. When those Republican moderates were able to see that even the Defense Secretary did not want this thing, they changed their mind. Yes, it produced an extremely narrow vote, but it was significant because it would have been a vote that could have gone completely wrong the other direction, and we would have seen 230 for the amendment to 193, or basically the Democratic caucus against it. So I have to give a lot of credit to Secretary Mattis. So my question there would have been, so would he have been open to revisiting this somewhere else? Because apparently this is being reviewed in within the, you know, the transgender policy, I'm, I'm told, is being reviewed within the uh, Pentagon. And... Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I mean, Mattis has been not a big supporter of LGBTQ service in the past. Has has, they, has he changed on that, or am, am I wrong in, in uh, characterizing his views? I, I think you're kind of... The problem with Mattis is, is that he's first and foremost a career officer, but yeah. he's one of these types of individuals, uh, as we saw during Don't Ask, Don't Tell, uh, that, uh, you know, once policy is set and they've had a chance to see policy as it works and it's it actually has been implemented and they've gone through the process, mm -hmm. that he's okay with it. What you're referring to is what we call the accessions policy. When Secretary Carter, uh, Secretary Mattis' predecessor in the Obama administration, acted uh, last June, what he essentially did was is he took care of anyone that was existing in service. In other words, 
anyone who was trans at the time that that directive and policy was implemented was more or less covered. Yeah. What wasn't covered, unfortunately, were folks in the service academies and also people that were going to come in either through a ROTC program, a junior ROTC program, or just walking into a military enlistment center uh, or processing station, the MEP stations. Okay, mm-hmm. Both were covered. What Secretary Carter wanted was the Pentagon officials to be able to basically hammer out how they were going to procure or bring into the U.S. Armed Forces transgender service members. That was what the whole thing was about. Now, Mattis, yes, has sat on the fence on this. That is true. But Mattis is also not a type of person that he likes to be pushed by outside forces Mm -hmm. in what he would perceive as an unfair fashion. And quite frankly, and, and I don't think I'm mischaracterizing uh, the attacks by the Heritage Foundation, the Family Research Council, and others, including some members of the House of Representatives. Representative Duncan Hunter of uh, California comes to mind. Representative Steve King of Iowa comes to mind. And, of course, Representative Parcel of Missouri comes to mind. You know, this is a perceived action based on a flaw in personnel policy. The Pentagon does not like, and this is traditional, mm-hmm. Congress to micromanage its personnel affairs. Sure. And here we sit all these years later after the 2011, and suddenly people are going, after the 2011 repeal, excuse me, and suddenly people are going, well, wait, you know, there was no impact. That's exactly what's going on now. So I realize that was a very long explanation, sir, but it, it's the best explanation I can give you that I think that opposition really isn't the word that I would use in terms of the defense secretary as General Mattis is a very pragmatic individual. Brody, thanks so much for that. I have so many more questions about this uh, this situation here and, and some great insight. So don't go away. When we come back, we'll continue with Brody Levesque. The Commonwealth Club is a unique organization that brings together people from a variety of backgrounds to explore important issues as a community. Sooner or later, everyone worth hearing comes to our stage. From Marga Gomez to Richard Chamberlain, from James Hormel to Kate Kendall, leading thinkers, activists, politicians, and artists have come to the Commonwealth Club of California. Ted Olson and David Boyes came here to discuss their winning legal strategy for same-sex marriage. Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. From healthcare reform to transgender rights, from immigration to gay-owned businesses, it's all at the Commonwealth Club. And that's still just a portion of the 450 programs we present every single year, with new programming nearly every single day. Be a part of the conversation. Learn more at commonwealthclub.org, download our free app in iTunes, and join us in person the next time you're in San Francisco. The Commonwealth Club of California puts you face-to-face with today's thought leaders. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. 
So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side as a unified team of the best fertility specialists guided by the highest ethical standards Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us here on this Tuesday. John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is in studio with me as my co-host. And on the phone is Brody Levesque who is the chief political correspondent for the new civil rights movement. And uh, we're talking about an amendment that uh, was rejected by a Republican-led House. And, and what it would have done would be uh, it would it would have ended the opportunity for the Pentagon to pay for gender transition surgery and hormone therapy for transgender transgender military officials. Brody, you brought up, uh, you know, a couple names of people, I mean, that you credited for um, – uh, defeating the, this amendment, but at the same time, some, mm -hmm. you know, who obviously wanted to do that. I, I, one thing that popped to mind it, for me was we're spending all this time talking about transgender military officials. When you look at the entire, uh, when you look at the big picture, for example, and, and, and the budget, I mean, how much money are we actually even talking about as far as the argument of saving money um, and what it would cost the military? Uh, in reality, the Harsler Amendment would have affected a point-something zero percentage of the overall military budget, right. which was another part of the problem that, you know, in the larger scheme of things, uh, it, it wasn't even really a drop of water. So this makes this a very, very much, you know, uh, animus-based specific targeting of a group of people by congressional Republicans. And and really, at the end of the day, that's what this was, okay? So uh, the justification that Hartzler tried to use, um, well, her first comments on it were pretty bad, and then she went from that to, you know, the budgetary thing. Uh, they were disingenuous to reality in terms of the overall uh, defense budget. We're not talking an impact, basically. Yeah, Hartzler kept saying it's a it's a financial thing. It's a diversion of money from other needs. It would mean that soldiers wouldn't have the resources necessary to uh, fight. Um, which I don't know if anyone even in her own party believed that she was saying that. I mean, believed her when she said that. But um, it also does, mm -hmm. you know, suggest. I mean, we expect her to come back with something else, don't we? I mean, this is not. She's not hung up her her uh, cleats and and called it a day. At this point, the uh, Senate Armed Services Committee uh, will do a review of the NDAA. Um, it does not appear at this time, at least from my sources on Capitol Hill, that we're looking at another type of similar amendment or action. The bill will go to what's called conference. Both houses, uh, the conferees will be appointed by leadership on both sides. They'll hash it out, and then it goes to the president's desk uh, for signature. At this point, there's not a chance of that coming back and making an appearance on this particular piece of legislation. Right. Now, that's not, that's not the stopper uh, from creating mischief. The accessions policy is on a six, 
month agreed upon hiatus. Uh, so we're still way out from that taking effect. And she has indicated from previous comments that she fully intends uh, to try and keep that from happening. Uh, she would like to walk back transgender service altogether in the military uh, if she can get away with it. Now, the assessment policy is what's specifically being targeted. And, of course, she has you know, a smaller group of folks on the House Armed Services Committee, like Representative Hunter, uh, Representative Russell, Representative Moore, that probably, and even Chairman Thornbury, that will probably be, you know, part of that, depending upon the pushback from the Heritage Foundation and the Family Research Council. So, yes, sir, you're absolutely correct. This fight's not over with. Speaking of the fight not being over with, I mean, this is just one very specific situation as it applies to the military and transgender mili- uh, military officials. But uh, when we're talking about health care, uh, for example, health care mm-hmm. for, for millions and millions of people, um, the, yeah. the, 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 this administration is trying desperately to repeal Obamacare. Let's turn our attention to that and what's going on mm-hmm. with that and, and the R- Republicans and their tactics to get this going as far as repealing it? Um, At this point, it does look like uh, the majority leader's proposal to repeal the Affordable Care Act without providing for a replacement is, in fact, dead in the water. Earlier this morning, uh, Senators uh, Susan Collins, uh, Republican from Maine, and Shelley Moore, uh, Capito, a Republican from West Virginia, in a joint statement, said that they are going to, uh, or excuse me, not in a joint statement, but in statement, said that they will not, they're going to oppose. Uh, Senator Bob Portman, Republican Ohio, is leaning towards uh, not, you know, uh, voting to repeal. And we were alerted about probably a half hour ago, just as you were going on the air, that Senator Lisa Murkowski of Alaska has also publicly come out and said that she will not vote for it. So at this point, um it looks like uh, the effort to repeal is not going to happen. Now, the president, obviously, uh, is extremely um, unhappy with this, and he's again pushing uh, the Senate Majority Leader to just put it on a straight, you know, party vote, uh, which would, you know, break Senate precedents and, again, break the 60-vote uh, threshold. It doesn't look like McConnell really has the appetite for that. However... Uh, given some of the things that have occurred over the course of the last uh, two weeks uh, before the recess and now after the recess, and as we're looking at the August recess, uh, when it comes down to the Senate Majority Leader, all bets are off because we're not exactly sure you know, how he's going to construct this. As it stands right now, they don't have enough votes, and it's almost 1.30 here in the East. So they, at this point, they've got, they don't have the votes. Okay, to repeal it. Yeah. Now, that's not to say that they can't still make mischief, and that's not to say that mischief still can't be created. One of the biggest pushbacks is coming from outside of Capitol Hill and outside of, of the sphere of Washington influence is the fact that professional groups and health insurance groups and others are warning Senate Republicans that any kind of action towards a repeal whatsoever will completely cause the market itself to blow apart, and thus their prophesizing that it was a failure becomes evident in reality, predicated on their actions, not on 
the scope and nature of what's really going on with the markets. Our understanding, or at least my understanding, from talking to economists and professionals in the healthcare field uh, and in the insurance markets, is that the Affordable Care Act markets or the Obamacare markets, as they're referred to, uh, are in fact actually starting to stabilize. So, uh, you know, the Trump administration and Senate Republican leadership is way off base on this. But if there would be a devastating effect should they go ahead and try this. So, again, at this point, it looks like they're dead in the water, but McConnell may still try and play the option. The biggest concern being he, you know, breaks apart from Senate procedural rules, pulls back the 60-vote threshold, and does it on a straight party line. But see, even then, he may have a problem, especially with senators like Collins and Portman and Capito and, you know, now Murkowski saying these things. Um, and, of course, the other part of it is you'll probably get opposition even from senators like Rand Paul of Kentucky and uh, even Ted Cruz. So at this point, the majority leader is probably going to have to figure out, you know, a way of walking around this. There, there, there was became clear last night that the replacement didn't have enough votes to pass. Right. Now it's become pretty clear that they can't repeal it. So he's kind of stuck. Yeah. Do you, <coughs> excuse me. Um, do you think he's just he and some of the other Republicans are e- eager to just <laughs> declare a victory or forget about health care and, and just get to what they really want, which is tax cuts, which, of course, is really what their health care program was? Well, yeah, I, I mean, the, the, their their idea of a health care bill was nothing more than massive, uh, massive <laughs> you know, tax, <laughs> tax cuts. Right. Um, I think that they're going to re-entrench. Um, the problem that they're running into is that the real obstructionists right now aren't the Democrats. It's the Republicans themselves. This is true in both houses. Um, this goes to a lot of the discussions that have been going on about why you see no action, including this whole Russian nonsense, in terms of the president. You know, as far as they're concerned, the president, this is the Senate and House Republican leadership's concern, the president is literally the goose that laid the golden egg. So we don't want to impeach the goose. Yeah. But in the meantime, we can't, you know, have any kind of form of consensus among ourselves to get anything done. This Congress, sir, has a worse track record now than one of the worst Congresses in historic record, which was the 80th Congress, which, if you remember, President Truman had the battle. This one just earned that, you know, title rather sharply, because since they've come back into session and Trump has taken office, they have been able to pass practically nothing. Well, it's good. And... and I mean, but and actually, to take that seriously, though, so there, there's been a very strong strain, arguably the leading strain in, in Republican uh, uh, thought and politics over the past couple of decades, maybe longer, mm-hmm. that they don't want a working government. They don't want an efficient government. They don't want a government that accomplishes things that solves problems because the whole idea is they see government as the problem. So is it possible they're not particularly worried the fact that uh, they're going to, you know, be worse than Truman's do-nothing Congress? I think that's a fair assessment. I, one, of the, one of the things that I would argue, and again, my colleagues and uh, folks uh, in my, you know, my profession may differ opinion with me on this, but I think we began to see the coalition that was put together in the early term 
uh, during Reagan's first term in office 40 years ago. Yeah. This is the fruits. This is the fruits of the poisonous tree. I will say it. I will say it in public. I said it privately. The problem with the modern-day Republican Party is exactly what Senator Goldwater had warned about. If you let these religious and fundamental uh, theological types into politics, and they get, it'll be an infestation, a parasitic relationship. Nothing will get done because they have a bottom line that you cannot compromise with them. And I'm paraphrasing uh, Senator Goldwater. You can't compromise with them. You can't reason with them. They don't want to hear it. Here we sit 40 years later, and that's essentially what's happened to the Republican Party. It's broken. And the thing that broke the Republican Party is the American Christian right. That you, you literally, you can actually place the blame at their footsteps. Everything with this party as it's constructed now is all predicated on battling social issues first and then tying financial economic issues to social issues, which I realize probably doesn't make any sense to the average person out there, but that's what they do. Mm-hmm. And as a direct result, you get logjam after logjam after logjam. And, of course, the other little added feature to this is the fact that that party in the last four decades has developed a well-earned reputation for being xenophobic, homophobic, to the point of just unbelievable. It's just unbelievable. Okay? These people don't care. And that's it. They're not going to back off. You know, McConnell famously said during the first term of President Obama that he was going to make it his mission to destroy his presidency. He's not going to get him elected again, blah, 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 right. blah, blah. So, you know, so, right. and that's, and I'm paraphrasing the senator, but that's exactly what, they, what it ended up happening. Right. This I think, I think that that's party. a... Well, I was just going to say, I think that that's a a great point to end our segment with you on. Um, You've been so great. And, uh, you know, people really do need to understand how broken the Republican Party is. So thank you for that insight. Brody, thanks so much for joining us here on the program and walking us through what I consider are some small victories. So we'll keep reporting on these things. And so will you. People can follow you on Twitter or they can read all your work at the new civil rights movement. Anything else or did I miss? No, you got it. Thank you again for your courtesy. Thank you, sir. I'm glad that I could come on and maybe answer some questions. I appreciate you both very much. Uh, Well, I'm sure of it that you will be back. Don't go away. When we come back, we'll continue our show, and we're going to play some clips from the Commonwealth Club's event with Caitlyn Jenner. Caitlyn Jenner has recently made some, uh, some, some headlines in the media lately in, in announcing that they're, she's interested in running for some political office. But before all this talk about becoming some senator of some state, there is talk about doing something else, and we'll share that when we come back. Don't go away. Babe. I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side as a unified team of the best fertility specialists guided by the highest ethical standards Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do. 
especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. Many nonprofits rely on events to raise money, create space for community gathering, and offer opportunities to network. But how many hours in a day do community leaders have when they're busy changing the world? Imagine your next event, gala, festival, or celebration professionally executed with creative ideas and ideals to match your community service. IDK is the community's trusted event production company. Visit idkevents.com for all your event production needs. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on on Facebook. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. On the Progressive Voices Facebook page, we update the stories that our hosts like Tom Hartman, Stephanie Miller, Bill Press, and Leslie Marshall will be talking about during their shows. And we share great news, commentaries, opinion pieces, and videos from all over the progressive world. Always progressive, always on. Be part of the progressive conversation. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. I don't know what happened there, but there is Casper, a friendly ghost, in the studio. Sometimes things work and sometimes things don't. Um, sometimes they magically work very well, and then there are times when stuff like that happens. That's what happens, I guess, when you hook up your own studio. Okay. I'm Michelle Miao. John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us, and uh, I'm, I'm pretty excited, actually, uh, about our next segment, which we're going to play some clips from the Commonwealth Club evening with Caitlyn Jenner, moderated by Judge Cordell, who is really sweet, awesome, amazing woman. She moderated the forum that we put together about LGBTQ rights, corporate activists, and just kind of what's next after the Trump administration with San Francisco Pride a few months ago. Um, but let's talk about Caitlyn Jenner. So Caitlyn Jenner made uh, some comments about potentially wanting to run for California senator, uh, I believe. And uh, that's got a lot of people talking back and forth. Some good, some not. Um, interesting, controversial public figure. Uh, for lots of people who don't know, I mean, Caitlyn Jenner has made a lot of comments even within the transgender community that's controversial. And I think the number one reason why she's controversial is because she's a trans woman, but she's also a Republican and uh, some believe, you know, are on, playing for the wrong side. Um, I, I, I really enjoyed the talk, though. I wish that I actually was there and I wasn't able to make it because it did give you insight about kind of what is Caitlyn Jenner thinking. Um, no one's perfect, so I certainly found some flaws in the way that, she, you know, she was thinking, as I do when I talk to most Republicans. <laughs> but what did you think, John? Um, I had not known a lot about her thinking. I guess I learned not only w some of her views on things, um, but also a bit of how she thinks. And I think that to be honest, will be the biggest challenge for her if she gets into politics. Well, actually, the biggest challenge is she is a Trump supporter in a state that uh, overwhelmingly rejected Donald Trump. So, uh, you know, running up against just about anybody running as a Democrat, it, it will be very, very difficult for her to get into the top two and, and into the general election. 
Um, yeah. I mean, her biggest justification, it sounds like, from this evening uh, or this discussion was basically trying to make change within the Republican Party, sitting with, you know, or having private dinners with Republican people or politicians. Um, But how much of an impact is that if we're, you know, talking about the bigger system here? I don't think that changing the hearts and minds of Republicans is going to save this country. But I don't know. Caitlyn Jenner has a different way of thinking. Yeah, I mean, she she does talk in there about how— uh, you know, one of the things she did was like go and have dinner with a, a group of evangelical uh, uh, Republican Congress members. Well, it would be interesting to know how many of them voted for or against this uh, Vicki Hartzler amendment we were just talking about in the previous half hour. Because if they met her and they said all kinds of nice things and, oh, we'd love to stay in touch with you on these topics, and then they vote for that amendment, then she, then her behind-the-scenes work isn't bearing fruit. Mm-hmm. If, on the other hand, some of those were the people who are the reason this this bill did, in fact, get rejected. Um, and remember, it was the Republicans who had to reject it because the Democrats mm-hmm. are, are in the minority in the House. Then there's something to be said that, well, that good behind the scenes, you know, person to person, celebrity to congressperson, you know, even uh, th- approach does bear some fruit. Well, let's go ahead and play this clip, basically, when Judge Cordell, you know, asked Caitlin to to talk about politics. We'll start with that. And then Judge Cordell does actually ask Caitlin Jenner if uh, she'll run for political office. So very, very, very interesting discussion. Here it is. Coming up. So let's talk about that for a moment, okay? Because that gets us to the area of politics. (gasps) All right? So... This is off in the book. You're a conservative. First first of all, politics is a page and a half of 120 pages. That's right. Yes. That's right. It's not a book about the Kardashians. It's not a book about politics, but I had to... I had to say something. And and indeed, any memoir worth its salt tells everything, and and you have. Uh, So you're a conservative, uh, and I can understand why Bruce Jenner was a conservative. He's a wealthy white male... He benefited from tax cuts supported by conservatives. He's handsome, he's an American icon, and the beneficiary of white privilege. I get that. Now that I get you, all that. Well, that's what you had. Now that you are Caitlin, a trans woman, you share a community that includes black, Latinas, Latino trans women, most of whom are low income, most of whom have health insurance only because of the Affordable Care Act, uh, and, and many of whom, many of whom frequently face homophobic-inspired violence. So the question is, how do you explain to them your continuing support of conservative causes that oftentimes conflict with the needs of that community? Or have I, by this question, persuaded you to reconsider your political affiliation? <laughs> Excellent question. Um, this is how I, I've always see. Actually, we're we're born a month apart, right? That's correct. Yeah, we're born. So we grew up in the same, same time. year, same year. But obviously, your situation was very different than what my situation right. was, and I, I get that. I get. I have lived a very privileged life. Okay, but also I have worked my ass off all my life. Okay, it's not like anybody gave right. me that. Right. I, I worked to win the games. I tried to be smart in business. Um, I raised wonderful kids. 
Um, yeah, I worked for that. You were the best okay? in the world. I was the best right? in the world. In the world. Those were good days. Yeah. Okay. Um, but it didn't tell the whole story. And so I understand that. But how can I use that and that platform to try to make a difference? My loyalties are not with the Republican Party. My loyalties are not with Donald Trump. Okay. Just because I believe in more, I believe in like the Constitution, limited government, um, uh, obviously, lower taxes for everybody, um, less regulations, a thriving economy. I'm, I'm not a fan of the government. I'm a fan of the people of this country, okay? To get us out of any issue, we got to get it out of. And they just have to be able to give the freedom to be able to do that. My issues or my loyalty lies with my community to make it better for my community. I feel like I would rather try to convince the Republican Party to do a better job when it comes to equality for all and, a, and equality for the LGBTQ community um, than try to fight the Democrats on lowering taxes and less regulations and bigger government. So, um, so that's where my fight is. Uh, and I will fight the Republicans. I mean, big time. I have no problem. I don't know if you saw my little Instagram post the other day. I went after Donald Trump and Jeff Sessions. Um, and it looks like here in the near future we're going to have to again. Um, you know, like Trump, I did go back to the inauguration. Uh, the reason I went there is to meet people. Uh, I would say 80, 90 percent of the things I do do politically, you have no idea what I'm doing, and I do not do it publicly. I do it privately behind closed doors. I want the Republican Party to get to know a trans person. I literally have sat down at a private home having dinner with 15 evangelical Christian conservative Republican senators and congressmen, as we would call them, the enemy, okay? And I sat there uh, with Zachary Drucker, who is my assistant and deals with all trans issues and one of the great trans women of all time. She's just wonderful. And we sat down, and I guarantee you, everybody in that room had never met anybody who was trans don't know the issues. And I told him, look, I'm a Christian. I, I do have conservative thoughts. I'm a Republican, okay, but I'm also trans. And we sat for three hours, talked about faith, talk about the issues of our community. And by the end of it, um, uh, one of the guys in the back says, you know, hey, when we get to policy, could we talk to you? You know, if you come back. And I said, sure, that's the reaction that I want. I, I do, uh, I want to, I work very closely with the American Unity Fund. And what is that? They are uh, headed up by um, Margaret Hoover, who is the president, um, and a guy named Tyler Deaton, who is the most greatest human being ever. I talked to him just before I came over here. Um, smartest guy. Their only mission statement is, and they're very well funded, to get the Republican Party to do a better job when it comes to all LGBTQ uh, issues. And they are on top of everything. I mean, they know everything, where all the bodies are buried. Um, I think the best thing that the Republican Party could ever do, I don't know if it's going to be, be able to do it, is to do a better job when it comes to equality. I would like to fight for that. So what, what is your reaction then to the latest information? Pulling it down just because I want to hear your thoughts on, you know, this uh, – big, bold statement of making some real change and helping the Republicans change their mind as far as supporting LGBTQ equality. I mean, do you, I think a lot of, of people, especially transgender people are going to 
call out Caitlin and say BS. And we don't think that you can speak for us because of your privilege, because of your class, because of what you believe in as far as political views and support of a party who has historically uh, uh, systematically been involved in attacking and or um, creating a space of violence, right, for transgender people. So before I get into that, John. <laughs> um, well, that all sounds much more interesting than what I would have to say. Um, I, look, Caitlyn Jenner is a human being. An American can say whatever she wants um, and can speak out on whatever topic she wants. I don't believe anyone can really say you can't speak on that. Um, I, I was pleased that, for example, I thought uh, Judge Cordell did a good job of getting her to recognize that, yes, look, I, I do come from a privileged background and I know other people, you know, who have, have gone, transitioned like I have, have not had the benefits that I have had of being white, of being wealthy, of being famous, all that kind of stuff. Um, as far as a political career, I'm just not sure that there's a, a thirst for a, a Caitlyn Jenner in public office. I mean, and now she has been also successful in business. So, and that sometimes does transition, at least as far as like running an organization and, and even running a congressional office is running an organization. But, um, you know, if I, I just can't imagine her getting uh, the very conservative, you know, Central Valley folks in California to vote for her for Senate. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, uh, you know, the Terminator made it in California as a, as a Republican governor. I'm I'm speaking of Arnold Schwarzenegger, yeah, well, but but being trans, you know, is is pro is is different. Um, I think you kiss off any of the the religious vote in the country, a uh, conservative religious vote in the state, and there is, you know, again, if you're trying to get the Republican nomination, that's a significant part of your your vote, even in this state. Well. It, what's interesting is, you know, Caitlin's toying with the idea of run, running for California senator. Uh, but before making this declaration, she was actually asked by Judge Cordell about um, running for office. And she did not say, you know, the California senator seat. Here's what she actually said. Policies impacting the LGBTQ community is to be a politician. Uh, have you thought about running for public office? And if so, would you run as a Republican, a Democrat, an Independent? And what office what might you might run for? That's a big question. Yeah. <laughs> at the, I have been asked in the past, I have spoken at Republican events many years ago, and they all go, oh, my God, you should get into politics and this and that. And I go, eh, I don't want to do that. Um, and so I've kind of stayed away from it. Um, now things have changed some. Um, uh, I've had a lot of people come up to me and say, hey, you know, maybe you should go after something like that. And, of course, when I said it on The View the other day, uh, the next thing you know, I'm running for president. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that I'm running for president, first woman, first trans woman ever to run for president. I'm running for I was thinking maybe I would start with the mayor of Malibu. You know, and kind of work my way up a little bit and kind of learn the business, you know. So, um, but I, what I'm doing right now, over this next year, um, I, because uh, I, I want to make it better politically for our community, where can I do the best? Where can I be the most valuable to make change? 
Is it from the outside and kind of working the outside and working all the things? Or is it better from the inside? Um, you only get one vote, you know, and from the inside. Maybe I can be on the outside and influence more votes. I don't know. So I am, I am just checking this out. So it's a possibility. It would be a possibility, yes. But I have to see where I can do the best job. You are listening to the Commonwealth Club of California. Listen to thousands of our podcasts on iTunes or Google Play. And when you're in the Bay Area, please join us live for one of our 450 programs each year. You can find us online at commonwealthclub.org. And now, back to our program. <laughs> I, I wanted to play that spot. You, you should actually send me that spot. That's a good spot. Well, we can do that. <laughs> Okay, so uh, Mayor Malibu, I wonder why she didn't, you know, stick with that. Uh, I mean, she might have a chance as Mayor of Malibu. <laughs> uh, it, it, uh, that usually you say you start small, you start locally, that's the area you know. Those are the people who know you. Those are the Republicans who are most likely to vote for her because they've probably met her, seen her, been involved with organizations with her in the past. Um, but I, I think it was pretty clear from that discussion between the two of them and that exchange that she hadn't thought about it. You know, mm-hmm. you know, some, compare that to uh, gubernatorial candidate uh, Gavin Newsom, who's clearly been thinking about running for governor since you know, 1900 or something. Um, you know, is that bad? Not is that disqualification? No, I, it, it still comes down to do people think that she has programming? Are Democrats going to switch uh, sides to vote for her? Because, yes, they get someone who's transgender that might or might, you know, of course, there are some Democrats who might not like that. But then you have basically every other thing, I mean, that she stands for that they're probably going to oppose. I mean, just remember, not too long after her Commonwealth Club appearance was the shooting in uh, Virginia of those congresspeople at that softball game. These were GOP congresspersons. The the shooter was a, a Bernie supporter from Illinois, I believe, who had who had gone off the deep end and decided to take out some Republicans. Um, you know, the one Republican, I believe, is still in the hospital. Um, and soon after that, Caitlyn Jenner makes this comment at a GOP, I don't know if it was a fundraiser or some sort of a GOP meeting, and jokes about, you know, Democrats can't even shoot straight. And it's like, well, if that's the level of, you know, political discussion you're going to get into, that that's really going to handicap her in any statewide thing where she will be scrutinized very, very carefully. Well, I want to get back to the fact that, you know, Caitlyn Jenner remains a controversial figure even within the LGBTQ community, oh, yeah. because if you're not LGBTQ, you might be sitting there thinking, you know, what's all this fighting about uh, that's so great? Or the LGBTQ community needs to just be excited and happy that they've got a public figure or somebody, you know, um, like Caitlyn Jenner uh, to to be in their community and speaking up and, and about equality and trying to make change within the Republican Party. Um, to have a transgender person as privileged as, as Caitlyn come out as transgender and then make a series of political comments that um, are ignorant to actual real lived experiences of the transgender community, or let's just say, you know, uh, a lot of people who are in Caitlyn's shoes as far as class and money goes are about 1% of this country. So your experiences as an incredibly rich 
person who's used to those privileges, I mean, you can't exactly speak for the rest of America who are working class. And as Judge Cordell had talked about, um, you know, uh, being a person of color and all these things where the transgender community as marginalized and the most vulnerable are impacted at a level in which death is pretty much the end result um, when they are arrested, when they're looking for jobs, um, and even, you know, talk about social life, we're fighting over bathroom bills, and that's a direct attack on the transgender community. And so oftentimes when you have someone like Caitlyn Jenner who steps into the public limelight just by coming out and starts talking about uh, what transgender issues are, and then don't address these very serious issues, political issues that impact transgender people, it's going to rub people the wrong way. You know, it, it's going to make people feel like, no, you're not my spokesperson. And the worst part is you support a party that has killed us for, I would say, generations uh, and, and continue to do that as we look at future generations of transgender children. Um, so kind of trying to put it in the best terms possible. Um, does that mean, though, as myself, uh, you know, someone that's a part of the LGBTQ community doesn't want to see a trans woman run for political office? I think you and I have been saying this the entire time. Get involved whatever way you can. Um, it, you know, there's there's hope, at least, that Caitlyn Jenner, if she was successful in running for political office, would be able to at least put a face on the transgender community. And that would be my hopes that that gets more transgender people into political office. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't think her running or making comments uh, is meant to exclude anyone else from running or making comments and, and speaking out. Um, I, I think it certainly probably causes some people who would not pay any attention whatsoever to these topics um, pay some attention. And I'm specifically thinking of, you know, basically some non-political people on the right who suddenly think, oh, okay, well, you know, I'll at least listen to what this person has to say. Is that going to change a lot of minds? I have no idea. Um, but, you know, should she not run? Should she not be able to speak out? Well, you know, no, not in a free country. Yeah, it's not a bad thing. You know, there are lots of Republicans out there, um, <laughs> and and at least what Caitlyn Jenner has done is be able to say that I'm trans, I'm Republican, and uh, I'm Caitlyn Jenner, um, who used to, or you know, used to be Bruce Jenner, the Bruce Jenner, a gold medal uh, Olympian, um, and widely known. I, I, there's more to the the, the uh, talk, by the way. It's a 70-minute talk, and you can listen to the whole thing at commonwealthclub.org under podcasts. Um, I had I didn't get a chance to listen to the whole thing, um, so those were the two spots that I really enjoyed. But, yeah. John, do you have a recommendation of where there, we might be able to play something? There, uh, There's one part, I believe it's toward the end, where she's talking about her church. She's, she's a Christian. She goes to church regularly, and uh, she talks about this uh, this child of this, this these two parents who are struggling with the fact that they're they're with their transition transitioning child and and I, and I honestly don't recall if the child was a uh, transitioning to female or, or male I don't recall which way, way that was but 
it, it honestly, honestly, every time, and I've been reading this because I've been editing it for our magazine too. It, it makes me tear up when this child is is showing her, uh, showing her uh, uh, marks on her wrist where she had tried to commit suicide. And Caitlin's response, I thought, was just wonderful, which was, you know, whoa, 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 you won't, you know, that's not something ever to consider. Here's my personal phone number. You call me. You know, what I mean, it was, it was, a, it was a that kind of reaction. Great. That is a very human reaction. That is a exactly the reaction you would hope someone could deploy their time and their love and their their experience to say, look, you'll get through this. And and the nice thing is, you you learn more than as she she Caitlin is talking more about this about how she did help the, the, this child and the parents kind of work their way through it. I've ever been happier, more content. I'm in the best place I've ever been, okay? So there's no regrets. But in the media, um, there was this one guy, I don't even know who the hell he was, you know, it was going up that I was going to detransition, okay? <laughs> yeah, right. Looking like this, I'm gonna detransition? Are you kidding me? <laughs> So, yeah, and like, and this, and then he goes on that he knows the Kardashians, and I'm coming back, and I, I don't like being Caitlyn, and I have all these regrets, and I'm going, are you kidding me? Uh, that's not the case, but it's out in the media. But the problem there, I have a young, uh, at my church, there's this young um, little trans boy um, who the mother is struggling with it, the father is struggling with it. And uh, I was at church one day after Caitlin had come out, and the mother comes over and starts talking with me about her son. Actually, it's female right now, but her son. And, um, and so uh, the mother was talking so much, and he was staying in the background, that after church was over, I'm thinking, you know, you got to save one soul at a time. Okay, this is like my little mission now. So I took him out into the parking lot, and I said, your mom never even let, gave you a chance to talk. How are you doing? Saying, you know, I really wasn't doing very well, and actually showed me on a wrist where I had tried to slit, slit his wrist. I went, whoa, 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 okay, don't go there, okay? Here's my number, my cell number. I said, before you even talk to your parents, you call my ass up or you start thinking about something like that. I will get my butt over there, and you're not doing that, okay? It's just it's not even an option, okay? And I said, and we started communicating, texting back and forth. Well, then I'm at church one day because the father is not on board. And, you know, he takes me up back out to the parking lot and said, are you detrench, you know, are you going back and all that sort of stuff? Because there's all these articles and my father is using it against me. See, Caitlin, she's not because she's going back to old Bruce, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And I, you know, I said, tell your father, you know, first of all, no, I'm not going back. This is a bunch of BS. So things like that, when they say if I have regrets or if I'm going back to the old Bruce, okay, um, they do have their effect on people. And this poor kid who was really having a tough time with his parents because then they used it against him. How's he doing now? Uh, actually, pretty good. Yeah. Everything's kind of calmed down. In high school, you know how that's really tough. I mean, it's a tough time to get through. But I see him at church all the time. Wow. Very, very, very um, powerful. So 
you know, I, at the end of the day, we all have a responsibility to make it a better place or leave this world uh, a better place than we had it. Caitlin's doing that in her own way. I want to thank the Commonwealth Club for the program and all the great programs that you guys do. Um, this year, it sounds like, or it seems like there's just, you know, incredible programming. If you're in the Bay Area, make sure you check out a program or become a member at uh, commonwealthclub.org. And of course, John, I'm so very thankful, appreciative, and grateful for your involvement with the Michelle Miao Show. John hosts his own show, the week-to-week political roundtable talk that airs here on Friday, uh, or Fridays, I should say, 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. For everything else, you can head to michellemiao.com. We'll be back tomorrow.